Proverbs. We will be flicking about a little bit. The nature of Proverbs is it does go back and forth a bit. So you're going to have to warm your fingers up maybe as you flick through your Bibles or your screens. And we go through many different passages back and forth in the book of Proverbs. Um, some of you will remember in 1963, uh, Tony Bennett uh, had this hit single. It's, it's quite still a famous pop song. Um, so I, I, no, I perhaps I shouldn't sing it for you. But it's Oh, the Good Life. Do you remember that one? Oh, the Good Life. But in, in it, the song proposes the way to enjoy a good life. But it also acknowledges the impossibility of ever really achieving that longing. He sings, it's the good life to be free and explore the unknown. That's the longing of every human heart, to enjoy a good life that is filled with freedom. But then he sings, but I want you to wake up and kiss the good life goodbye. Because he's acknowledging that though we desire a good life, we can never ever really achieve all that we hoped our life might be. We have a goal that we increasingly find difficult to accomplish the longer our life goes on. And maybe I'm just showing my age by that, but. <laughs> In our heart of hearts, we want to know a life that is accomplishing things, a life that is, has purpose and meaning and joy, a good life where we achieve our ambitions. And every advertisement we see on billboards, on TV, on YouTube, and um, just proposes a solution to be found within its products. Instagram filters promise a life like no other. Our own imaginations conjure up ideas, don't they? That if we could only live like this, or to this ideal, then we could enjoy the truly good life. But do any of those really hold any substance? Or are they just all illusions of our own fallen desires? Well, the book of Proverbs warns us that the good life can be discovered. It can be discovered, but only through the, not through the wisdom of this world, which is in fact foolishness, but through the wisdom of God as he declares himself in his word. There is a great warning in Proverbs that there are many distractions that will come our way and will say to us, this is the good life. But the book of Proverbs invites us over to its mansion to sit by the fireside with father godly instruction and mother biblical wisdom and to listen carefully to their guidance concerning the truly good life. If you're in Proverbs 1, look at verses 8 and 9. My son, hear the instruction of your father and do not forsake the law of your mother for they will be a graceful ornament on your head and chains about your neck. On Sunday, we hear a strand of advice on how to live the good life. All through the week, we hear a contradictory strand of advice calling us down this path, saying, this is the good life. One strand looks like wisdom but is in actual fact foolishness. The other strand 
appears to be foolishness. But as we'll see tonight, it is in fact true wisdom. And so the, the book of the, this book of the Bible warns us to be careful where we look and to whom we listen as we seek to live a life of meaning, and purpose, and joy. So firstly, where must we look for wisdom? Where must we look for wisdom? Well, the book of Proverbs proposes that we seek it not in the philosophies of man, nor in the poetry of the bard, nor in the call of the media presenter, or in the alluring advice of this generation's influences. Those are all muddy streams, far, far from the source of wisdom. Instead, we're encouraged here to begin at the beginning, to find life at the fountain, to discover our created purpose at the origin of creation, the creator himself. All other calls for us to find wisdom elsewhere, says Proverbs, are little more than like the stranger at the school gates who offers us sweets. Or the, the woman of the night who calls from behind the red curtained window, come this way. Or like the sirens of Greek mythology who lured sailors to the disastrous rocks as they sailed their ships to destruction. And so if you look at Proverbs 5, 1 to 5, the creator warns us there, may my son pay attention to my wisdom. Lend your ear to my understanding that you may preserve discretion and your lips may keep knowledge. For the lips of an immoral woman drip honey and her mouth is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps lay hold of hell. Two strands of wise advice. Live this way, says Mother Wisdom from God's Word. Live this way, says the lips of this immoral woman, and you will live the good life. What has happened to our world that we would listen rather to the destructive call, the immoral call, rather than to the call of our maker, the wisdom of the Lord. What has happened? Well, we know what's happened if we've been in church at all. We know we can trace it right back to the garden where Adam and Eve were told by the creator, eat only of this tree and you will enjoy life forevermore with me in fellowship with the living God. But they heard another voice. A voice that said, what does God know? You know better than he does. Find your own self. Define who you are. Find happiness in seeking your own way. Eat of this tree of knowledge, for you will not surely die, said this voice. God knows that in the day you eat of this fruit, your eyes will be open. You'll understand life. You'll live the good life. You'll follow in a better way. God's on the wrong side of history. You don't want to miss out. Life's not to be found in religion. Come with me, said the voice, and off they went. Ah, I'd like, I'd like that. I want my eyes to be opened. I want to enjoy that. 
And so Adam and Eve, they listened to the siren's call, the honey-dripping mouth, the silver-tongued wicked serpent, and the rest is history. For all of us, since that first day, we have all listened to that call, the call of the serpent, the call that appears wise, but which is in actual fact a foolishness that leads not to life, but to death and to hell. We must understand this is God's world. This is God's world, and he has designed this world with a purpose. He has given us a life to be lived in his world for a reason. And unless we discover our purpose in him, we will never discover our purpose. How often do we look at our own lives and we seek through our own ideas and our own thoughts and our own wisdom. How can I figure out who I am? And we spend time guessing, presuming, thinking, this is what my life is all about. But you know, in a million years, we would never guess correctly what our life is actually all about. And yet, says Proverbs, we can discover in an instant who we are and why we are here and what our purpose is. Just in a moment, how? By asking the maker. God, you made me. Who am I? Why do I exist? How am I meant to function in your world? This is what Eger acknowledges in Proverbs 30. If you have your Bibles, turn over to Proverbs 30, right at the end, nearly at the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 30, verses 1 to 4. The words of Eger, the son of Jacke, his utterance, this man declared to Ithiel, to Ithiel and Eupel, Surely I am more stupid than any man, and do not have the understanding of a man. I neither learned wisdom nor have knowledge of the Holy One. Who has ascended into heaven or descended? Who has gathered the wind in his fists? Who has bound the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name and what is his son's name, if you know? You see what Eger is acknowledging? I cannot find wisdom in and of myself. My brain doesn't have the capacity to work out who I am and why I am here. I cannot understand all the understanding of the world or the knowledge of the world. I don't know the reason for everything's existence. I cannot grasp what only God can grasp. I am stupid. I am too small and I am too powerless. Who do we think we are if we honestly believe that we have any clue as to who we are or why we're here just within our own microscopic brains? You know, we could tap into all the wisdom of the world. We could devour every self-help book on Amazon. We could employ our own personal life coach, feast on every chat show on the airwaves, 
and we'd have done little more than to jump into the air to try and get to the moon. All the wisdom of the world cannot comprehend even the basics of why God made us. For as the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.25, the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Now, imagine going home tonight and we're like standing by the tap. I want a cup of water. And we hold the, tap, the cup under the tap. I can't get any water. Why, Why can't I get any water? You, did. you haven't turned on the tap. That's quite straightforward, isn't it? And yet here we are as people, we, we try and gain wisdom without ever tapping into God, the creator's all-encompassing knowledge of who we are and why we are here. Just turn on the tap and say, God, who am I? Why do I exist? For if we believe we can be self-sufficient, then Proverbs 18 verse 2 summarizes our whole life. It says, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his own opinion. That's what every chat show on radio and TV is all about. Every fool expressing their own opinion about life. And so we listen to our own foolish notions. We drink in other people's ideas and we just go around and around in circles instead of tapping in to wisdom, the wisdom of the creator. So secondly, how do we do that? How do we gain wisdom? How do we turn on the tap? We gain it by listening to the all-wise one. For Proverbs calls us to see all of our lives through the lens of God's words, to view our own selves in relation to the one who created all things and who alone determined and determines the reason and purpose of our existence. If you're still in Proverbs 30, we hear again from the words of Eger. He's just pronounced his own inability to understand the world outside of God. And then in verses 5 and 6, he goes on to say where the wisdom of God is to be found. How do I turn on the tap? He says, every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. He says there's a book written by the creator. And in that book, you can find true wisdom and true meaning. It's the word of God. It's the written down wisdom of heaven sent to us by inspiration of the Holy Spirit so that we don't have to guess or presume or make up our own ideas or hold our cup under a non-dripping tap. We can open the tap as we open God's word. And as we flick through its pages, the wisdom of heaven flows through the tap and into our minds and into our hearts. And the Lord's instruction tells us who we are, how we were designed to live. We're not left by God. He doesn't make us and say, right now, get on with it and just try and stumble through life as best you can. 
No, we are not left to wander the mountains of life in the darkness. We don't have to figure out why we're here. Our, our maker has spoken. And in the darkness of our own ideas, we open up his words. As the psalmist says, doesn't he? The entrance of your word gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. And so we pray like the psalmist, make your face shine upon your servant and teach me your statutes. We don't want to stumble and fumble and bumble our way through life. We want to live. We want purpose. We want a goal. We want understanding and meaning. It's found right here. It's found right here. We want to live skillfully and carefully with discernment and discipline. And so Proverbs offers us a way in. The wisdom of God is found through the written word of God. And what is the wisdom God's word gives us? It's the wisdom that teaches us how to know how we live well in the world that God has created. It's the wisdom of Proverbs. How do I live well in a world created by God? And in this view of the world, God's word becomes more than a dry sermon we have to live through or a daily devotion we have to rush through in the morning to get on with real life. In this world, Scripture, the Bible, becomes the very cogs that move us forward. The Bible becomes the blood that enables us to live, the wings that give us flight. For by the word of God, by the light of the word, we see how to live. By the truth of the word, we understand our world. And by the wisdom of the word of God, we know how to move forward in a way that reflects our maker's purpose. <laughs> so often people say, well, you know, we have, I have God and you have the word. I've heard people say that. No, I follow God and you just follow the dusty old book. As if God and his word are two distinct things but they're not, they're not two distinct things. Any more than my words coming out of my brain and my heart and my thoughts are distinct from me. They're, they're my words. They're part of me flowing out from my own head. And so that's what this book is. It's God speaking, vocalizing his divine, eternal, all-encompassing knowledge of why the universe exists, how to show his glory to a world and how to bring salvation to the lost and how to direct us through life. This is not a dusty old book. I just want God. I don't want the book. You can't have God without the book. This is God's book. Scripture gives us insight into the creator's heart and mind. It enables us to walk in sync with his will. How do I know what God wants for me? Open the book. What kind of ambitions and desires shall I have in life? Open the book. Open the book. Well, this is not something that has come naturally to us, because as we have already seen, as we see thirdly, all of us have followed another wisdom, which is in fact foolishness. We've listened to foolishness. Would you turn back to Proverbs chapter 2? 
Proverbs chapter 2, verse 18, puts it this way. We have all gone down to the house which leads down to death. We've all listened to the voice of foolishness. Or look at verses 13 to 15. We have all chosen to walk in the ways of darkness, rejoiced in doing evil, delighted in the perversity of the wicked. Our ways are crooked and we are devious in our paths. We are warned, aren't we, of how foolish we have all been and are in danger of being. If we close this book and say, I, I don't follow this book, I just get on with life. But what Proverbs also assures us is that not only have we gone down the path of foolishness, every one of us, yet there is a way of rescue, a way of hope for the foolish. We look at verses 10 to 12. Here is the way of rescue. When wisdom enters your heart and knowledge is pleasant to your soul, discretion will preserve you, understanding will keep you to deliver you from the way of evil. There is, says Proverbs 2, a saving wisdom from God, discovered in the written word of God, as it points us forward to a living wisdom, a wisdom which was to come and to redeem us from our own foolishness and our own wickedness. The Creator's Son Himself, who wrote the book of Proverbs, has come in human flesh, as 1 Corinthians 1.24 says, Christ, the wisdom of God, has arrived. The one in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Yes, we've all gone down the way of foolishness, but the wisdom of God, promised in the word of God, has come in human flesh. Not only to show us true wisdom, and to be true wisdom, but to rescue us from our foolishness. Here is a man who never strayed into the paths of foolishness. The one in whom is found the fulfillment and the embodiment of all that Proverbs commanded, true wisdom. The one who came as the example par excellence of how to live in this fallen world, but more than that, as the very one who came to save the foolish from their sins. This is the focus and heart of God's word. Here is the wisdom of all wisdoms. We preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, a stumbling block. To the Gentiles, foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. You see, what we had followed was foolishness wrapped up in human wisdom. But what 1 Corinthians promises us is true wisdom wrapped up in apparent foolishness. The death of wisdom rescuing the foolish. Christ, the wisdom of God, dying on a cross, bleeding, perishing, as we're going to remember in a few moments. That doesn't seem like a wise message. We invite people to come to church and hear the message of someone who died. 
What? What, what, what do you believe there in that church? Your, your hope, your life, your everything is found in a dead man? What kind of foolishness is that to the Jews a stumbling block to Gentiles foolishness? But it's Christ. It's the wisdom of heaven. By perfect wisdom, he died our death. He received our foolishness on himself. And he rescued us from our self-destructive ways by his own unusual, admittedly, wisdom. I save, I give life by dying on a cross. And so as we go into this world and we declare this message of Friends, you're foolish and you're walking down a destructive path to death and hell. But come and believe in a dead man, a man who bled and suffered, and perished on a cross and rose on the third day and has ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God. Come and believe in him. People will think we've lost the plot. <laughs> Why? Because the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved. It's the power of God. Because it's written in God's word, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. I bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Says 1 Corinthians 1. Where is the scribe? Where is, where is the disputer of the age? If we, if we updated it, we might say, where is the philosopher? Where's the influencer? Where's the chat show host? Where's the billboard marketing advert? Has not God made foolish? the wisdom of this world. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Yes, we have a message of wisdom wrapped up in an apparent veneer of foolishness to the world around us. But we need not be ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God to salvation for the foolish. Here we were, like the rest of the world, headed on a path of self-destruction. But Christ has stepped into our humanity. And through his death, he's ransomed us. He's healed us. He's restored us to the path of wisdom. And so the only wise life in this world is a life that rests upon the death of Jesus. The only wise life in this world is a life that reflects Christ and his crucifixion. That's why, as we hear this morning, Christ calls his disciples to take up your cross, follow me, die to self, live for me. Foolishness, yes, to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, that's the wise life. Because it leads to glory and it leads to Christ, it leads to heaven. All other lives may appear wise, but that wisdom is a phantom, it's an illusion. It's no more beneficial to us than, than steam from a kettle. Comes and goes the wisdom of the world, but it has no substance, no, no meaning, no function that is of any benefit to us whatsoever. Once joined to Jesus, we head out on a new path of life, a good life, the good life, the life of wisdom. And this is what we see fourthly and lastly, the life of wisdom. As Christ has redeemed us 
from all our foolish notions of who we were and why we are here. We now begin to live in the light of the word of God. We walk in his ways and each day we spend time in his word and we go, oh, I didn't see that before. We're repentant of ways we've walked in foolishness. We seek by God's strength and grace and by his spirit to live in this new life of wisdom. We come from many different walks and backgrounds, many different spiritual areas of maturity and immaturity. Some of us are new, newly converted. Some of us have been on the road for 40, 50, 60 years. But in the book of Proverbs, there is wisdom to guide each one of us through life from where we are right until we meet Christ face to face. If you look at Proverbs 1, verse five, 4 and 5, it says that this book was written to give prudence to the simple, to the young man knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase learning, and a man of understanding will attain wise counsel. You know, some, of, some people who are young in the faith, they say, oh, I can never live with that maturity of that old saint over there. I'll never get to that stage. No, you're not there yet, but the Proverbs will lead you there from the simplicity of your faith right through to maturity in faith. And sometimes I've heard older saints say, well, I've lived my life. I've done my part. There's no more development for me. No, says Proverbs. A wise man will increase in their learning. A man of understanding will attain wise counsel. There is no sense that any part of our life will, that will, will reach a point where we don't need to develop in wisdom and Christ-likeness, repentance of foolishness, growth in his reflection. No, to the very dying breath, we must spend time studying, meditating, thinking about the life of Christ. So wherever we are on our spiritual walk, whether we're living in foolishness, whether we've gone back into that and we're living a life in the wisdom of the world where we slipped from the life of wisdom in Christ, wherever we are, let's submit again to the Lord's instructions as we go through the book of Proverbs so that the Lord will lead us from wherever, whatever point we are in right now to be men and women of godly maturity, reflecting Christ well in whatever area of life God has called us to do and to live in at the moment. Let's lean not on our own understanding, but instead trust in the Lord and in all our ways acknowledge him. And he will direct our paths. And then we shall live the truly good life without fear that of ever having, as, this, as Bennett sang, of having to kiss this good life goodbye. For, says the Lord in chapter 1, verse 33, whoever listens to me will dwell safely and will be secure without fear of evil. And so let's, as we come to communion, be repentant of all known sin, all known foolishness in our lives. Let's submit our ways to the word of God and to the cross of Christ and say, Lord, lead me from where I am to reflect Christ in his wisdom well. Keep me secure to the end.
We're going to sing as we come to communion of the Father's deep love for us at the cross. But the third verse, as we sing it, causes us, tells us not to boast in our own wisdom, but to make our boast in the Lord Jesus Christ and in his wisdom, as we see here in communion, in his death and in his resurrection. So let's stand and sing how deep the Father's love for us.